Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. The darkness has found you. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 16. I'm your host, Jason Hill. And when I think about you joining me tonight, I touch myself... phone. Touch my cell phone to check the view counts and the comments. Alrighty. Tonight's story comes from author Nick Carlson. It's a touch on the shorter side, but be warned. If you didn't feel queasy before... Well, you know where this is going, shall we? You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. Now, allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies and nightmares come to life. 
welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. And now, without further ado, from author Nick Carlson, I give you... King Cake. Mardi Gras' alternate name, Fat Tuesday, certainly applied to my family. It was an excuse for everyone to get together and indulge before the next several weeks of Lenten fasting. Gathered in the living room, we picked from a massive platter of chicken wings, nachos, and carrot sticks dipped in ranch, while a game blared on the TV. It's funny. As a kid, you see Fat Tuesday as the calm before the storm. You want a chance to pack up our junk before you spend the next 40 days in solemn abstinence. Now, as a grown adult who gets by on little more than a cup of coffee per day, there is no such storm anymore, and certainly no calm before it. Now I see it for what it's supposed to be, just a fun deviation from the drudgery of daily life. The other highlight of Fat Tuesday was the King Cake. Even weeks before the actual holiday, you couldn't walk through a grocery store without seeing an unusual abundance of gold, green, and purple. The closer the date approached, the stronger the sweet, almost plasticky smell of king cake frosting grew. Then, on the actual day, you were guaranteed at least three slices. One during school, one after school, thanks to a particularly festive mom who served us in the parking lot, and one at home, after our lavish dinner. It was always delicious, but it was certainly one of those once-a-year things. With each bite, I could almost feel the sugar eating away at my enamel. Brushing my teeth after all that cake felt like stepping into a shower after a hot day. But what made King Cake so special was the baby. It's a uniquely American tradition, where a little model baby representing Jesus would be hidden within a slice, and whoever found it would receive good fortune for the rest of the year. There was always a big deal among us elementary school students over who would find it, although with 30 of us in the classroom, the odds were significantly lower than finding it at home. I never got it at school, although I did find it at home one year when I was eight, I held on to the baby for a few ecstatic hours, then I lost interest, and then I lost the actual toy. They don't really do that these days anymore, on account of one too many idiots choking on a plastic fetus and threatening to sue the bakeries. Second grade me would have been disappointed. Adult me simply rolled my eyes at the morons being morons and ultimately couldn't care less. Besides. After what happened all those years ago, I almost never want to see another King Cake again. Around fifth grade is when the novelty of King Cake started wearing off, which was alright since the faculty stopped doing it for sixth grade and above. Nevertheless, the sight of glossy slices of cake on paper plates being passed around the classroom hit me with some level of excitement. As we dug in, I hesitated, but only slightly. The glaze over the brown top layer didn't seem as thick as usual, and the spongy yellow center was poorly composited. It had a certain charming clumsiness about it, like it was homemade, which I then realized was probably the case. I made a mental note to thank my homeroom teacher, Mrs. Kastner, for coming through for all of this. After class, I walked up to her and thanked her for the homemade cake. She gave me a blank stare. Oh! I didn't make that cake. Oh, well, who did then? I asked. Miss Kastner shrugged and went back to her papers. Not sure. They were just in our home rooms this morning. Very generous of whoever that was, though. At that moment, the lunch bell rang and I dropped the matter, rushing out the door into the hallway. Amid the cafeteria chatter, one inevitable topic of discussion came up. Which of us got the baby? Did you? I asked my friend Jackie. She shook her head. I turned to the rest of my usual lunch gang. Did any of you? Neither answered in the affirmative. 
I leaned back and poked the shoulder of the girl sitting behind me. Do you know if any of you all got the baby? No, I don't think so. Did any of you? She replied with wide eyes. I shook my head, turning back to my friends. All of us wore the same perplexed scowl. Maybe our cake simply didn't have the baby. But, as the minutes wore on and kids from other grades intermingled, it became clear that absolutely no one in any grade had found a little plastic baby in their king cakes. Maybe everyone accidentally ate theirs, I suggested. Don't be stupid, Henry quipped. The odds of everyone eating their babies in every class without knowing are too big to be possible. Nothing's impossible. The math teacher said so, Jackie retorted. We bickered all the way outside during our 15-minute recess period, and the moment we took off running to our schoolyard corner to play Foursquare, the king cake had largely disappeared from our minds. Until scarcely ten minutes later, when, feeling dizzy and nauseous from the cake and my lunch, I had to stagger behind a wall and puke my guts out. It came up as a delightful mixture of spoiled yellow and purplish-brown. I could still taste the remnants of the glaze in the back of my throat. Sickened and woozy, I sat out of the game and refereed for the remainder of recess. The rest of the day was uneventful. Classes sucked. The bus ride home was the highlight of my school day, and I remember scarfing down dinner that night on account of my empty stomach. I also refused the slice of king cake my mother offered. Just the sight of those pastel colors made me feel like throwing up again. The next morning, I woke up and lurched downstairs, ready to announce to my mother my intention to fast from soda for Lent. But she was already wide awake, her face grief-stricken and mortified. Go back to bed if you want, sweetie, she said in a small voice. School was canceled today. I too fully awoke. What? Why? What happened? There's some trouble over there, Mom said, shaking her head. I just heard this morning. They don't want any of the students there today. He'll be back by tomorrow, though. Um, what trouble? I asked. My mom shooed me out of the kitchen and up to my room. If her intent was to dispel the thought from my mind, then she was sorely mistaken. The instant I heard the television turn on and the tune of our local news station play, I crept down the stairs and peeked around the living room wall, watching from behind my mother's shoulder. An unspeakable tragedy early this morning at a local elementary school, the anchor was saying, when a janitor, sweeping the playground, came across what he could only describe as, and I quote, an embryo. I squinted and cocked my head at the word. I'd heard it before in science class, but it was always associated with chicken eggs and diagrams of cells undergoing meiosis. I couldn't wrap my brain around it. Why was it such a big enough deal to cancel school? Be warned, the anchor was saying. She looked off screen as if silently confirming a difficult command. When she looked back at the camera, I could almost see the cracks forming in her professional mask. The image is disturbing, she finished. A still photograph overtook the screen, clearly taken at night, with a harsh, overexposed flash of what appeared to be a section of the schoolyard. I nearly gasped. The precise location was familiar, as was the strange, glutinous puddle in the center of the frame. It was where I had thrown up the previous day, but... What remained of my stomach contents had apparently dissolved overnight. It was the raw, peanut-sized lump in the center that caught my attention. The color of a human tongue. It was shapeless, save for a few fleshy, protruding nubs. But what caught my attention was the eyes. Or rather, the lack thereof. Just two faded black spots on what looked like a skull, or what would eventually be a skull. I gagged out loud and ran back upstairs. Were you watching that? My mother scolded as I pounded up to my room, but I didn't answer. 
The door slamming shut behind me, I slid down against it, my insides writhing with a grim, violative emptiness. Only now, as an adult, does the thought so deeply sicken me to my core. Even back then, however, I was disgusted beyond anything I had ever known. The gusto in which I had eaten that slice of cake had prevented me from picking out what was basically a dead body, which I had chewed and swallowed under the guise of sugar and frosting. The thought of a tiny, half-formed spine crunching in half between my teeth sent shudders down my own spine and made my mouth bitter and tingly with revulsion. Puking it up had been bad enough, but I counted myself lucky. Imagine if I hadn't brought it back up. If it had passed through my digestive tract, another person's skin and blood integrating with my own. Then, with a lurch of foreboding, I realized that if my slice had a... a thing within it, there might have been others. I didn't come downstairs for the rest of the day, even avoiding my mother when she walked up to announce dinner. Tuna melts, your favorite, she urged. But I told her I wasn't feeling well and I wanted to rest. The little lie was surprisingly easy to tell, as it was pretty much true anyway. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I didn't dare tell anyone at school the next morning what I had done. Despite our teacher's best efforts to discourage conversation about the topic, everyone was abuzz at every available opportunity. Thankfully... The guys I had been playing Foursquare with hadn't put two and two together and realized my connection. At least, not yet. They had figured something else out, however. Word had spread that one kid from each homeroom was out sick, and two from the kindergarten classes had actually been hospitalized. The cake, the embryo, the sickness. It wasn't much of a stretch to link those three. By the end of the day, everyone had deduced that there had been others baked within the king cakes, and one unlucky student from each class had ingested bits and pieces from them. I kept my mouth shut. I knew already those other kids would come back cursed, forever castigated as sick weirdo freaks for literally eating babies. By Friday, the burning questions blazed forth. Who had done it? And why? 
As far as I had determined, the cakes had just shown up in home rooms, and no one questioned them because of the holiday. There were no notes, and no one knew of any suspicious folks prowling the hallways that morning, and any attempts to get answers from adults were immediately shut down. That day, we were called for an assembly in the gym. Ours was a Catholic school, so we listened to a speech about the sanctity of life at all stages, and the victim was still a child of God, and how we were to treat the incident with supreme decency and respect. This included not going out of our ways to dig for answers or harass them out of people. I was never one to go looking for trouble, but I didn't need an entire assembly to tell me how horrible and wrong it all was. Whatever the debate, I changed after that day. Darkly aged thoughts clouded and intruded upon my ten-year-old mind, and I adopted a sullen disposition in the days going forward. Among those thoughts, however, was a desire against the administrator's requests. A desire to find justice and closure for those lost little souls. In those days, it was normal for children to be out and about unattended, with no phones or other means of communication. You don't really see that these days, even though the overall number of missing children incidents has statistically plummeted over the decades. It's all a matter of attitudes, I've realized as I've gotten older, which is why that Friday... I opted to stay over at school a little bit longer than normal. I had guessed that whoever had hidden the aberrations and distributed the cakes possessed knowledge of the halls and keys to the doors. In other words, it very well may have been someone already among the faculty or staff. Students often lingered after hours for extracurricular activities or study hours, but I had to make an effort to remain inconspicuous. Attracting unwanted attention was the last thing I wanted. It might have put off whoever it was. Devoid of students and teachers, the hallways were vast, empty, and seeming to stretch into indiscernible points in the horizon. The blue lockers lining the wall stood at attention like silent guardsmen, regarding me with their faceless visages. There was always something eerie about those school hallways like they were missing something, like something sinister was supposed to be stalking their lengths, but it had either forgotten or had gone entirely. Every moment you expect to look behind you and see a shadowy figure lurking in a doorway, but it was never there, and you were always alone. I hopped between open classrooms, whose rows of unoccupied desks facing marked-up whiteboards served to be no less unsettling. I would settle in them for five minutes at a time, listening out for the echoing click of footsteps down the hallways. Then I would move on to the next. The clocks read 4 p.m. I had not seen a single solitary soul in the hallways. It seemed everyone wanted to clear out early on the heels of Wednesday's horrors. I felt more imposed upon and more unbelonging as I migrated to the next classroom. What if it was all in vain? What if I only had my own paranoia to worry about? Psst. I nearly jumped through the ceiling at that. It cut through the stagnant air like a bullet. After suppressing the urge to bolt, I realized it was a child my age's voice. I looked at my right. The utility closet was ajar. Despite the low light, I could see a single eye poking through the crack. Get in here, my friend Jackie hissed. Hurry! She held the door open ever more slightly and I slipped in past it. It snapped shut, and I was immersed in darkness, yet I could sense her presence uncomfortably close to me. What are you doing here? I whispered. What are you doing here? She retorted. It's a secret, I said. I don't want you to know. Well, you shouldn't be out in the hallways, said Jackie, her voice lowering. There's a creep in here with us. My pulse seemed to bulge in my veins. What do you mean? I saw him, Jackie whispered. He went in and out of the boiler room. He has keys there. 
No, he's up to something. Saw who? I pressed. A janitor, said Jackie. But I can tell he's uncomfortable. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He looks around too much. He's looking out for me. Her voice took on a sort of prideful steadiness. But he didn't see me. I hid. You're trying to figure out who did it too, I said. I could almost hear her smiling. I thought it was a secret. Well, now it's out, I confirmed. But that doesn't matter now. I want to know who did it. It's sick, Jackie. It's just disgusting. I know. Jackie's voice became soft again. I heard one of the kindergartners died from it. What? I gasped. Shh, she urged, and I felt her fingertip press on my lips. It killed him. It must have poisoned him or something, and he couldn't take it. Gosh, I can't imagine what that poor boy must have gone through. His poor mommy and daddy. She gave a soft sniffle that punctuated the darkness. My own stomach had twisted into a pretzel, and my face was heated from revulsion. Our mission wasn't about closure anymore. Now, it was about vengeance. So, where is the boiler room? I prompted. Down the hallway, near where it branches off, said Jackie. Hold on! She squeezed past me and creaked the door open slightly, sticking her head out, scanning the area. It's empty. Let's go. She goaded, slipping out. I followed ensuring the door behind us didn't slam shut. Her shoes, clicking on the floor, added a ghostly layer to the seemingly abandoned hallways. I suddenly imagined I was chasing a wandering specter throughout the school, just out of reach. She ducked into an empty classroom, slipping behind the open door. I followed suit. She waited a moment, then snuck out again. Jackie was a girl possessed. She wanted what she wanted, and how to get it. Finally, we ended up in a classroom directly across from a nondescript door. Normally, I wouldn't have noticed it during the school day, as it had no letters and seemed to lack a door handle. But I saw the keyhole protruding just above where the handle would be, and I realized this was a door they did not want students getting into. She whispered, crouching behind the door. He'll show up. I crouched and tried inching up next to her, but my foot jostled the door. It loosened from the rubber doorstop holding it open and began to swing shut. Oh no, I hissed, trying to reach for the handle. The door was too heavy and it seemed to pull out of my flimsy grasp. It slammed shut with a crash and shudder that shook the room. Oh, crap! Jackie cursed. Quick, hide! I scurried to dock underneath a desk, but Jackie called me back. No! Over here! Against the door! I turned around and crawled towards her, pressing my back against the closing door. It was part of a drill we'd practiced in case of intruders. But now, the novelty of practicing it during class was gone. This was real life. A moment passed, the silence broken only by occasional fidgeting. Then, heavier, almost older footsteps emanated from down the hall. We held our breath. Whoever it was was approaching our door. Their presence almost felt like a cold, psychic shadow looming behind me, something only detectable by some long-suppressed primordial instinct. The footsteps stopped. I could sense them, just behind me, an inch or two of wood separating Jackie and I from their clutches. I envisioned a cruel, anguished face pressing into the glass window, eyes scanning the room for interlopers. The shadow seemed to dissipate. 
I let out my breath. That's when I knew for sure a teacher would have entered the room to try and weed out any trespassers. This, however, this was the behavior of someone who didn't want to be caught. Against Jackie's protest, I hazarded a peek through the window. On the other side of the hall, the man was twisting a key in the boiler room's door. I recognized him. He was indeed one of the school janitors, signified by his plain navy blue uniform. He was balding, hunched, olive-skinned. His back was to me, and I could recall his face. Thick eyebrows, thin lips, dark, accusing brown eyes. No one would ever speak to him as he shambled down the hallways during the school days. I didn't even know if he spoke English. In other words, despite his rather unsightly impressions, no one would have suspected him first. Maybe eventually, but there'd be plenty of time for him to get away. Regardless, he had finally opened the door to the boiler room, swinging it wide open before disappearing into indecipherable darkness. As he disappeared, the door began to slowly close, and I knew our one and only chance to get down there was seconds away from shutting for good. The doorstop caught my eye. I scooped it up, threw our classroom door open, and sprinted across the hallway, jamming the corner of the doorstep into the narrowing crack. The silence from a lock failing to engage was followed by a sickly wave of relief. Jackie crept out of the classroom and joined me in prying the door open once more. A narrow set of rusty metal stairs seemed to drop into the floor, twisting into a gloom below, beyond our sight. I looked at her. Are you sure about this, Jackie? Yes, she replied. But her voice was small again, and the low light couldn't mask a middling shade of green in her face. We have to find out where that man's going, I said, to see if he's the... the one who... You know, she nodded. If anything happens, she said, don't look back. Just run. Back up the stairs and don't stop. She then looked at me. I won't leave you behind. Neither will I, I promised. Then, squeezing through the crack and leaving the doorstop in place, we held onto the railing and made our descent. If I hadn't been with someone else, I wouldn't have found the nerve to push further into that darkness. Thinking back, it just goes to show how fear seems to amplify when you're alone, your traitorous imagination taking advantage of the empty void around you. Having Jackie behind me, feeling her warmth was like filling the room with light I couldn't see. I felt braver, more responsible. The walls around me seemed smaller, but not constrictive. Simply put, I felt older. The boiler room was of plain, musty concrete adorned with pipes and a few white light bulbs hanging from the ceiling. The constant hiss of steam snaked around and above us, my hand subconsciously reached out and found Jackie's. Despite the unfamiliarity, it didn't seem too large. The far corner of the wall was within sight, and most of the empty space was taken up by vast, protruding machinations with buttons and valves and gauges, the kind of stuff you'd trigger in movies to make something blow up. We avoided them as we meandered through the room, eyes peeled and ears open for signs of someone else. As we approached the far side of the space, we finally heard noises that didn't belong. Something garbled and melodious, like ballroom music, piping from an old radio. It was coming from a large section of room in a corner. A black tarp hanging from the ceiling blocked off our view of whatever was going on in that area. I somehow knew we'd find the source of Wednesday's horrors behind that tarp. But 
as to what exactly it would be, I reached out and pulled. There was the sound of ripping tape, and the tarp fell crumpled at our feet. The music became louder, and the first thing I saw was an open door set against the wall leading to the outside street, lit orange by street lamps. What lay between us and the open door was even stranger. An old, boxy television blared static from atop a small drawer. On a nightstand next to it was a boombox, the source of the eerie, poorly-tuned music. Facing them was a moly frayed mattress splayed on the floor. There was a large, deep red stain plastered in its center. Jackie drew in a breath and grasped my arm. I froze up myself. As a child, I couldn't begin to postulate what had been going on there. Only now do I remember that the thin, spindly metal wires that littered the floor around the mattress were actually unfurled, undone wire hangers. I hadn't the cursed knowledge back then to make the connection. God bless my ignorance back then. Jackie and I barely had time to take in the grisly scene when the janitor appeared in the doorway. We gasped as he made eye contact with us, his face dour and unmoving. He seemed unsurprised, almost disappointed to see us there. Then, his eyebrows lowered into a glare, and he stepped into the room. We took a step back. Jackie tugged on my arm, but my legs refused to respond further. All I could do was stare back at the man, the mysterious figure flitting like a needle and thread through the fabric of what had happened this week. What are you kids doing down here? His voice was high and foolish, almost cartoonishly friendly, contrasting with his mean countenance. What are you doing down here? Jackie retorted. I almost laughed in spite of myself, but the janitor's gaze hardened further. Then, he moved aside. Get out of here, you two. None of this concerns you. What have you been doing? I asked, my voice trembling. You brought the cakes out Tuesday morning, didn't you? His expression drooped even lower. What of it? I said none of it concerns you. I very nearly ate whatever you put in them, so... Yeah, it does concern me, I snapped. And a little kid died because of what you did. Does it concern him? What about his parents? The janitor seemed to shrivel. He almost seemed disempowered and weak. I regret that, he croaked. Why did you do it? Jackie whispered. Why did you... Why did you hide all those little babies in the cakes? What... She seemed on the verge of tears. Why would you do such a thing? He straightened a little. You're mistaken. I only brought those cakes out and put all this together. He gestured at the macabre scene set up before him. The one who actually did everything you've taken such offense to. Well, he's not here. And you'll never find him. My heart twisted and sank into my stomach. Who then? Someone... Brilliant. He flashed a smile for once. The flickering television static cast ghoulish shadows over his face. I don't understand him all the time, but he's brilliant. And he has a sick sense of humor. He suddenly appeared troubled. The way he laughs, it's... It's enough to scare anyone into doing anything. He snapped out of it. Doesn't concern you. Now get the fuck out of here! No! Jackie was squeezing so tight my wrist felt cold and numb, but she inched herself forward. No! You are not getting away from this like that. Tell us who did all this and why! The janitor's head cocked and the corner of his mouth twitched. Oh, you could be my daughter, he said in a low, loving tone. 
I almost had a child, you know. Almost. But the mother... The mother-to-be was... forced into it. They wouldn't let us marry. And she was the only one I loved, the only one I thought of raising children with. But she was pressured into visiting that place. The clinic. That little spark inside her died that day, flushed out and discarded in a plastic bag. His lip trembled. She never loved me again. Neither did I. Whatever we had died along with our child. It was... It was devastation. You'll never understand. But he found me. He understood my pain, my spite, and he made me help with whatever sick plans he had. I thought there'd be a purpose to it all. Revenge, revulsion, anything to suck the hurt out of me. I thought others should hurt. Anything to feel a little less. But I don't feel any better. Maybe he just thought it'd be funny. Maybe he really doesn't care about my pain. That's the case. Oh, surely that's the case. The janitor slumped to the floor, his face buried in his arms. Just go. Leave me. You will never see me again. I don't want to see tomorrow. Just go. Shocked and horrified beyond words, we stared at his pathetic form for what felt like hours. But he never moved, beyond the occasional shuffle and stifled sob. I took a chance and led Jackie past him and out the door, into the twilight. He didn't follow us. We walked down the lonely street until the school was an undeterminable shadow among the nightfall. We stopped and looked at each other. We couldn't comprehend what he had said, or what we had even witnessed. But it was not for our eyes. It was not for anyone's eyes. Will you walk me home? Jackie finally said. I don't want to be alone tonight. I held her hand again. Neither do I. The rest of the night, until I let go of her at her front door, was a dusky blur. But even though my own house being only a few blocks further down, that brief stint of lonesomeness in the night will never leave me. As time went on, word of the janitor that shouldn't have been began to spread. As it was revealed, he had only joined the staff that semester under a false name. But formal investigations never revealed a true identity, nor a physical person to pin it on. Despite our brief encounter, I doubted it would have helped much. Everyone put the blame on him anyway. Though, as to how he acquired the tools and means to perform such heinous crimes by himself, no one could answer. The truth remained locked between Jackie and I. Nothing was ever found in the boiler room either. I guess he had done one last thing that night before disappearing off the face of the earth. We held a school-wide memorial service for the poor kindergarten boy who had suffered the most from that fateful day. Jackie and I weren't in the same whole room, so we weren't sitting near each other. But we met each other's eyes once, and that one time was enough. The rest of the school year was gloomy and mournful. Then, our family moved away that summer. The school, the Wednesday of Horrors, and Jackie became small, dark memories. Life went on. New priorities came to fruition. It all became buried in my mind within a few months. As far as I know, nothing more came from the events of that week. They devolved to the status of urban legends, the dirty little secret of a small, insignificant town. But it certainly happened. If you know where to look, you can definitely find stories about what happened, just not the full one. 
I don't pray much these days, but on those rare occasions when the spirit moves me, I think about Jackie. How she's coping wherever she's at. Whether she has a family of her own. I think about the janitor. Whether he found absolution from his suffering and atonement for his compliance. I think about all those little souls who never got a chance to grow up. Their lives cut short and played as punchlines in some morbid, twisted joke. And, as for him, the brilliant man with the horrible laugh and the sick sense of humor, who had instigated the acquisition of those little... well, and manipulated a tortured man into following his demands, I pray that he had found his little joke to be funny because where he's going, there won't be much to laugh at. You've been listening to King Cake by author Nick Carlson. It was most certainly fate that Nick Carlson would find a passion for horror writing. At a young age, he could be seen overturning rocks and logs looking for only the creepiest insects and worms the dirt had to offer. This fascination with nature's oddities only compounded as he got older. Now, he freehandles spiders and snakes whenever he can, and grapples with stingrays and sharks whenever he finds himself on the beach. He still has both his hands, so he's not going to stop anytime soon. The thrill of uncovering and exposing the grotesque side of nature fed into a desire to elicit discomfort and provoke thought through writing. Nick believes horror and new weird are not only the most versatile and time-tested genres, but are also fun as hell to write. He self-published his first sci-fi horror novel, Simeon, in 2020, and was featured in The Unknown, a COVID-19 charity anthology the same year. Apart from writing, Nick is also an avid hiker, fisherman, classical composer, and organist. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear more lengthy tales, be sure to take a look at my audiobooks, available now on audible.com. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive, dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another dance with darkness, I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, as well as a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Jason Hill unless otherwise noted. 
selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Felipe Ojeda under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's logo was created by Craig Groshek, and this week's artwork provided by Omega Black, unless otherwise noted. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tone considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you've heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more, and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for hundreds of free audio horror stories, including more performances from yours truly, and consider supporting us by becoming a patron at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com. In addition to helping us out, You'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, I'm Jason Hill, and you've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast. Good evening, and sweet dreams. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.